0: The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 9, At the Sign of the Prancing Pony, Part 2 The company was in the big common room of the inn. The gathering was large and mixed, as Frodo discovered when his eyes got used to the light. This came chiefly from a blazing log fire, for the three lamps hanging from the beams were dim and half veiled in smoke. Barlamin Butterbur was standing near the fire, talking to a couple of dwarves and one or two strange-looking men. On the benches were various folk, men of Bree, a collection of local hobbits, sitting, chattering together, a few more dwarves and other vague figures difficult to make out away in the shadows and corners. As soon as the Shire hobbits entered, there was a chorus of welcome from the Bree landers. The strangers, especially those that had come up the greenway, stared at them curiously. The Landlord introduced the newcomers to the Bree Folk so quickly that, though they caught many names, they were seldom sure who the names belonged to. The men of Bree seemed all to have rather botanical and, to the Shire Folk, rather odd names, like Rushlight, Light, Goat Leaf, Heather Toes, Appledore, Thistle Wool, and Ferny, not to mention Butterbur. Some of the Hobbits had similar names. The Mugworts, for instance, seemed numerous, but most of them had natural names such as Banks, Brock House, Longholes, Sandheaver, and Tunnelly, many of which were used in the Shire. There were several Underhills from Staddle, and as they could not imagine sharing a name without being related, they took Frodo to their hearts as a long lost cousin. The Bree Hobbits were, in fact, friendly and inquisitive and Frodo soon found that some explanation of what he was doing would have to be given. He gave out that he was interested in history and geography, at which there was much wagging of heads, although neither of these words were much used in the Bree dialect. He said he was thinking of writing a book, at which there was silent astonishment, and that he and his friends wanted to collect information about hobbits living outside the Shire, especially in the Eastern lands. At this, a chorus of voices broke out. If Frodo had really wanted to write a book, and had had many ears, he would have learned enough for several chapters in a few minutes. And if that was not enough, he was given a whole list of names, beginning with Old Barloman here, to whom he could go for further information. But after a time, as Frodo did not show any sign of writing a book on the spot, the hobbits returned to their questions about doings in the Shire. Frodo did not prove very communicative, and he soon found himself sitting alone in a corner, listening and looking around. The men and dwarfs were mostly talking of distant events and telling news of a kind that was becoming only too familiar. There was trouble away in the south, and it seemed that the men who had come up the Greenway were on the move, looking for lands where they could find some peace. The Bree folk were sympathetic but plainly not very ready to take a large number of strangers into their little land. One of the travelers, a squint-eyed, ill-favored fellow, was foretelling that more and more people would be coming north in the near future. If room wasn't found for them, they all find it for themselves. They've a right to live, same as other folk, he said loudly. The local inhabitants did not look pleased at the prospect. The hobbits did not pay much attention to all of this, as it did not at the moment seem to concern hobbits. Big folk could hardly beg for lodgings in hobbit holes. They were more interested in Sam and Pippin, who were now feeling quite at home and were chatting gaily about events in the Shire. Pippin roused a good deal of laughter with an account of the collapse of the roof of the town hall in Mickledelling. Will Whitfoot, the mayor, and the fattest hobbit in the West Farthing, been buried in chalk and came out like a flower dumpling. But there were several questions asked that made Frodo a little uneasy. One of the Brelanders, who seemed to have been in the Shire several times, wanted to know where the Underhills lived and who they were related to. Suddenly, Frodo noticed that a strange-looking, weather-beaten man sitting in the shadows near the wall was also listening intently to the Hobbit talk. He had a tall tankard in front of him, and he was smoking a long-stemmed pipe curiously carved. His legs were stretched out before him, showing high boots of supple leather that fitted him well, but had seen much wear and were now caked with mud. A travel-stained cloak of heavy dark green cloth was drawn close about him, and in spite of the heat of the room he wore a hood that overshadowed his face. But the gleam of his eyes could be seen as he watched the hobbits. Who's that? Frodo asked, when he got a chance to whisper to Mr. Butterbur. I don't think you introduced him. Who? said the landlord in an answering whisper, cocking an eye without turning his head. I don't rightly know. He's one of the wandering folk. Strangers, we call him. He seldom talks. Not but what he can tell a rare tale when he has the mind. He disappears from for a, month or a year and then he pops up again. He was in and out pretty often last spring, but I haven't seen him about lately. What his right name is, I've never heard, but he's known round here as Strider. Goes about at a great pace on his long shanks, though he don't tell nobody what he has to hurry. But there's no accounting for East or West, as we say in Brie, meaning the rangers and the Shire folk begging your pardon. Funny you should ask about him. But at that moment, Mr. Butterbur was called away by a demand for more ale, and his last remark remained unexplained. Frodo found that Strider was now looking at him as if he had heard or guessed all that had been said. Presently, with a wave of his hand and a nod, he invited Frodo to come over and sit by him. As Frodo drew near, he threw back his hood, showing a shaggy head of dark hair flecked with grey, and in a pale, stern face, a pair of keen grey eyes. I am called Strider, he said in a low voice. I am very pleased to meet you, Master. Underhill, if old Butterbur got your name right. He did, said Frodo stiffly. He felt far from comfortable under the stare of those keen eyes. "'Well, Master Hill," said Strider, "'if I were you, I should stop your young friends from talking too much. "'Drink, fire, and chance meeting are pleasant enough, but, well, this isn't the Shire. "'There are queer folk about, though I say it as shouldn't, you may think,' "'he added with a wry smile, seeing Frodo's glance.' And there have been even stranger travelers through Bree lately, he went on, watching Frodo's face. Frodo returned his gaze, but said nothing, and Strider made no further sign. His attention seemed suddenly to be fixed on Pippin. To his alarm, Frodo became aware that the ridiculous young Took, encouraged by his success with the fat mare of Mikel Delving, was now actually giving a comic account of Bilbo's farewell party. He was already giving an imitation of the speech and was drawing nearer to the astonishing disappearance. Frodo was annoyed. It was a harmless enough tale for most of the local hobbits, no doubt. Just a funny story about those funny people away beyond the river. But some, Old Butterbur for instance, knew a thing or two and had probably heard rumors long ago about Bilbo's vanishing. It would bring the name of Baggins to their minds, especially if there had been inquiries in Bree after that name. Frodo fidgeted, wondering what to do. Pippin was evidently much enjoying the attention he was getting, and had become quite forgetful of their danger. Frodo had a sudden fear that in his present mood, he might even mention the ring, and that might well be disastrous. You had better do something quick, whispered Strider in his ear. Frodo jumped up and stood on a table and began to talk. The attention of Pippin's audience was disturbed. Some of the hobbits looked at Frodo and laughed and clapped, thinking that Mr. Underhill had taken as much ale as was good for him. Frodo suddenly felt very foolish and found himself, as was his habit when making a speech, fingering the things in his pocket. He felt the ring on its chain. quite unaccountably, the desire came over him to slip it on and vanish out of the silly situation. It seemed to him somehow as if the suggestion came to him from outside, from someone or something in the room. He resisted the temptation firmly and clasped the ring in his hand, as if to keep a hold on it and prevent it from escaping or doing any mischief. At any rate, it gave him no inspiration. He spoke a few suitable words as they would have said in the Shire. "'We are all very much gratified by the kindness of your reception, and I venture to hope that my brief visit will help to renew the old ties of friendship between the Shire and Bree.' And then he hesitated and coughed. Everyone in the room was now looking at him. "'A song!' shouted one of the hobbits. "'A song! A song!' shouted all the others. "'Come on, no!' master sing us something that we haven't heard before for a moment Frodo stood gaping then in desperation he began a ridiculous song that Bilbo had been rather fond of and indeed rather proud of for he had made up the words himself it was about an inn and that is probably why it came into Frodo's mind just then here it is in full only a few words of it are now as a rule remembered there is an inn, a merry old inn, beneath an old grey hill. And there they brew a beer so brown, that the man in the moon himself came down one night to drink his fill. The oldster has a tippy-cat that plays a 5 stringed fiddle, and up and down he runs his bow, now squeaking high, now purring low, now sawing in the middle. The landlord keeps a little dog, that is mighty fond of jokes. When there's a good cheer among the guests, he cocks an ear at all the jests, and laughs until he chokes. They also keep a horned cow as proud as any queen, but music turns her head like ale and makes her wave her tufted tail and dance upon the green. And oh the rows of silver dishes and the store of silver spoons, for Sunday there's a special pair and these they polish up with care. Saturday afternoons. The man in the moon was drinking deep, and the cat began to wail. A dish and a spoon on the table danced. The cow in the garden madly pranced, and the little dog chased his tail. The man in the moon took another mug, and then rolled beneath his chair. And there he dozed and dreamed of ale, till in the sky the stars were pale, and dawn was in the air. Then the Ulster said to his tipsy cat, White horses of the moon, They neigh and tramp their silver bits, Their masters bin and drowned his wits, And the sun will be rising soon. So the cat on his fiddle played hey diddle little, A jig that would wake the dead. He squeaked and sawed and quickened the tune, While the landlord shook the man in the moon. It's after three, he said, they rolled the man slowly up the hill and bundled him into the moon while his horses galloped up in rear and the cow came capering like a deer and a dish ran up with the spoon. Now quicker the fiddle went Deedle gum diddle the dog began to roar. The cow and the horses stood on their heads the guests all bounded from their beds and danced upon the floor. With a ping and a pong the fiddle strings broke the cow jumped over the moon and the little dog laughed to see such fun and the Saturday dish went off at a run with the silver Sunday spoon the round moon rolled behind the hill as the sun raised up her head she hardly believed her fiery eyes for though it was day to her surprise they all went back to bed there was loud and long applause frodo had a good voice and the song tickled their fancy. "'Where's old Barley?' they cried. "'He ought to hear this. "'Bob ought to learn his cat the fiddle, "'and then we'd have a dance,' they called for more ale, "'and began to shout. "'Let's have it again, master. "'Come on now, once more.' They made Frodo have another drink, and then began his song again, while many of them joined in, for the tune was well known, and they were quick at picking up words. It was now Frodo's turn to feel pleased with himself. He capered about on the table, and when he came, a second time to the cow jumped over the moon, he leaped in the air, much too vigorously, for he came down, bang, into a tray full of mugs, and slipped and rolled off the table with a crash, clatter, and bump. The audience all opened their mouths wide for laughter and stopped short in gasping silence, for the singer disappeared. He simply vanished as if he had gone slap through the floor without leaving a hole. The local hobbits stared in amazement and then sprang to their feet and shouted for Barlamin. All the company drew away from Pippin and Sam, who found themselves left alone in a corner and eyed darkly and doubtfully from a distance. It was plain that many people regarded them now as the companions of a traveling magician of unknown powers and purpose. But there was one swarthy Brelander who stood looking at them with a knowing and half-mocking expression that made them feel very uncomfortable. Presently he slipped out of the door, followed by the squint-eyed southerner. The two had been whispering together a good deal during the evening. Frodo felt a fool. Not knowing what else to do, he crawled away under the tables to the dark corner by Strider, who sat unmoved giving no sign of his thoughts. Frodo leaned back against the wall and took off the ring. How it came to be on his finger, he could not tell. He could only suppose that he had been handling it in his pocket while he sang, and that somehow it had slipped on when he stuck out his hand with a jerk to save his fall. For a moment, he wondered if the ring itself had not played him a trick. Perhaps it had tried to reveal itself in response to some wish or command that was felt in the room. He did not like the looks of the men that had gone out. "'Well,' said Strider when he reappeared. "'How did you do that? "'Worse than anything your friends could have said. "'You've put your foot in it, or should I say your finger?' "'I don't know what you mean,' said Frodo, annoyed and alarmed. "'Oh, yes, you do,' answered Strider. "'We had better wait until the uproar has died down. "'Then, if you please.' "'Mr. Baggins, I should like a quiet word with you.' "'What about?' asked Frodo, ignoring the sudden use of his proper name. "'A matter of some importance to us both,' answered Strider, looking Frodo in the eye. "'You may hear something to your advantage.' "'Very well,' said Frodo, trying to appear unconcerned. "'I'll talk to you later.' Meanwhile, an argument was going on by the fireplace. Mr. Butterbur had come trotting in, and he was now trying to listen to several conflicting accounts of the event at the same time. Oh, "'I saw him, Mr. Butterbur,' said a hobbit. ways well, I didn't see him, if you take my meaning. "'I just vanished into thin air, in a manner of speaking.' "'You don't see him, Mr. Mugwort,' said the landlord, looking puzzled. Yes, I do, replied Maguire, and I mean what I say, what's more. There's some mistake somewhere, said Butterbur, shaking his head. There was too much of that Mr. Underhill to go vanishing into thin air, or into thick air, as is more likely in this room. Well, where is he now? cried several voices. How should I know? He's welcome to go where he will, so long as he pays in the morning. There's Mr. Took, now. He's not vanished. Well, I saw what I saw, and I saw what I didn't, said Mugwort, obstinately. And I say there's some mistake, repeated Butterbur, picking up the tray and gathering up the broken crockery. Of course there's a mistake, said Frodo. I haven't vanished. Here I am. I've just been having a few words with Strider in the corner. He came forward into the firelight, but some of the company backed away, even more perturbed than before. They were not in the least satisfied by his explanation that he had crawled away quickly under the table after he had fallen. Most of the hobbits and the men of Bree went off then and there in a huff, having no fancy for further entertainment that evening one or two gave frodo a black look and departed muttering among themselves the dwarves and the two or three strange men that still remained got up and said good night to the landlord but not to frodo and his friends before long no one was left but strider who sat on unnoticed by the wall mr Butterbird did not seem much put out he reckoned very probably that his house would be full again on many future nights, until the present mystery had been thoroughly discussed. Now, what have you been doing, Mr. Underhill? he asked. Treating my customers and breaking up my crocks with your acrobatics. I am very sorry to have caused any trouble, said Frodo. It was quite unintentional, I assure you. Most unfortunate accident... right, Mr Underhill, but if you're going to do any more tumbling, conjuring, or whatever it was, you'd best warn folks beforehand, and warn me. We're a bit suspicious round here of anything out of the way. Uncanny, if you understand me. We don't take to it at all of a sudden. I shan't be doing anything of the sort again, Mr Butterbur, I promise you. And now, I think I'll be getting to bed. We shall be making an early start. Will you see that our ponies are ready by eight o'clock? Very good. But before you go, I should like a word with you in private, Mr. Underhill. Something has just come back to my mind that I ought to tell you. I hope that you will not take the miss. When I've seen to a thing or two, I'll come along to your room if you're willing. Certainly, said Frodo. But his heart sank. He wondered how many private talks he would have before he got to bed and what they would reveal. Were these people all in league against him? He began to suspect even old Butterbur's fat face of concealing dark designs.